What's up? What's up? Good morning. Good evening. Good night. Good afternoon. Whatever time you're listening in, wherever you're listening from, shout out to the Spotify listenership, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and YouTube if you're watching in. Thanks. Coming live from my voice to your phone, headphones, TV, or car stereo, your attention could have been anywhere in the world, but it's here right now. Let's take a moment and be present and recognize that it is now, right now. Whether you're working, running, exercising, cleaning, laying down, flying, driving, guest on a podcast, be grateful we're alive, baby. Failure can be frightening, however, as Winston Churchill reminds us, success is all about going from failure to failure without losing enthusiasm. This is I Will Not Lose podcast, where we set out to prove everything is learned from failure, and we must persevere and recognize it as one step closer to success. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and we are joined today by Heidi Markow of the Beginning Over Foundation. How are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. We've been trying to link up for a little bit now. This was definitely a story that I wanted to allow you to come on and share. So Beginning Over Foundation, tell me a little about it. Okay, so Beginning Over Foundation. So it was founded in 2005 after my sister Robin was killed by her husband. It was um, something that I just felt needed to happen. You know, it was like, okay, so all of a sudden you get a phone call. Your sister's dead. And I think from that moment, I don't even know how, like Beginning Over Foundation was born. But it, it, I had no idea that, that it was even going to be born. It was just something, you know, through my research and just where the system failed my sister and where it was failing other people. I just felt that something more needed to be done. And then I started looking around at what like government run nonprofits were doing. And there's limitations. And I don't believe that victims of domestic violence, victims of crime should have limitations. There, there shouldn't be a roadblock in any victim's journey, whether it's, um, you know, being someone who is abused verbally or somebody who's physically abused or, you know, a mother fight, fighting for her children. There should not be roadblocks. There should always be a door open. The, the court system should be a place, a soft place for victims to fall. It should not be a place that sets them up for failure. So through my research and through talking with many, many victims, there was just no way that I could sit back and not do something to at least make a difference, to to affect change somewhere. So here here we are today. It's been a long road and then the journey has been quite rocky. So you're an advocate for domestic violence victims. You've been doing that for 15 plus years. Yeah. And wow, that's God's work. It is. I, I feel that more so now than ever because of what I've been through. Yes, absolutely. Right. We're going to get into that. I wanted to paint a picture for our listeners who don't know you. Uh, we had met over a decade ago. I know mm-hmm. we were trying to, it was so long ago, we were trying <laughs> to put a finger on it, but it was at a fundraiser um, back, maybe I want to guess 2011 or 2012. It was yeah. around that time. Yeah, I And would you say. had been doing this work for a while. That's when I got familiar with your story and we had gotten together. So did you want to elaborate on when you said that the system failed your sister? Well, okay. So... After my sister was killed, I received a phone call from a reporter from the Bucks County Morning Call. 
And the reporter had said to me, hey, Heidi, did you know that your sister's husband tried to kill his first wife with a pickaxe? Mm. And and <laughs> from then it was just like, okay, well, there's another punch in the gut because my sister didn't know that that happened. And his case was buried in protection from abuse or like piles because once a protection from abuse order expires, it's just, it's gone. And anyone that wants to know anything about somebody that they're dating, you have to go to every county courthouse that this person lived and basically go to the protection from abuse office and say, Hey, I'd like the records, you know, could you tell me if so-and-so ever abused anyone? That's hard. People just don't do that. Right. So then, you know, the story, you know, more things started coming out that, you know, she didn't tell anyone that she was abused. I mean, I don't know if she was abused all the time, or, you know, if this was just a one-time incident, she had left on, a um, Tuesday night on uh, June 14th, moved out that afternoon, moved into an apartment Um, that morning, uh, Wednesday the 15th, her uh, killer parked his car about a mile away from her new apartment, walked to her building, waited outside for her to, to leave and pushed her back inside and you know, there was a, a struggle and a fight. And the reason I know all this is because her killer called me that whole entire day because he was on a there was a manhunt for him. It was the largest manhunt in Bucks County history. So he was calling me and telling me and the the what was going on and and um said that he had pushed her down and that she had gotten up and was fighting and he stood over her and shot her and said, Bitch, you deserve to die. That was probably like I don't talk a lot about that because I can still hear his voice crying and you know so there was a very short period because this was a 12-hour manhunt for him the schools were on lockdown there were armor tent you know the tanks that they were driving through town uh, helicopters searching for him um, you know because he was they were afraid he was going to just kill because when you're in that state of mind you're you're homicidal at that at that time. So um, he ended up shooting her and locking her in her apartment to die. When help got there, they, they should have busted the door down. But again, that's where I believe that there was some failure because I was told because after she was killed, I went to I wanted to know everything. I wanted to meet with the EMTs, the people that were first on scene. But they did say, you know, Heidi, we, we did everything we could. We got there. She was um still shallow breathing and she had a very weak heart rate, but she ended up passing, you know, and then later on, 12 hours later, he ended up, we were on the phone and we were talking and I heard this noise and I thought, oh, it sounded like he killed himself. A few minutes later, found out that he did take his own life then as he was surrounded by the SWAT team in Quakertown. So, yeah. Sorry, Heidi. Yeah. So since that day, I think I've been, um, I've just been on a mission. You know, I I wrote a law called Robin's Law that has been sitting in um, local legislator's office since, oh, geez, that's got to be since 2008 sitting there. So Robin's Law mimics Megan's Law. It's really a no brainer. I I don't understand it. it. Robin's Law would do just what Megan's Law does. 
puts the uh, and you must be convicted of a crime of domestic violence. So that would put you into an online database to see who you're dating, what this person has done. Again, it's not somebody that has a PFA. Robin's Law is those that have been convicted of a crime of, of domestic violence. Yes. So then it can't be weaponized. I mean, that is a no brainer. Yeah. Well, it's been sitting. And the last correspondence that I have in an email was from her, um, I guess her, one of her secretaries said that she thinks that it should be me that needs to get out there and, and get this law passed. So that was kind of a, a little bit of a setback for me because isn't that what we as taxpayers pay our legislators to do to get out there and, and get the law passed. So it was introduced by um, uh, Representative uh, Beyer back, I believe, in 2008. So that's how long it's been sitting. And I really haven't pursued it because as we're going to get into more of this, you're going to see why my work was stalled for over seven years. Oh, my. Now, I had read about a documentary, Beginning Over. Mm-hmm. You want to tell me a little bit about that? That was, oh, geez, that was that was quite a, a long time ago, too. That was a uh, something that kind of got started and never finished because of what had happened later on moving forward. But, you know, the documentary got started. Um, it started like how the foundation started and then went into my sister's murder and it kind of didn't cover anything after that because of, you know, just just the work that I was trying to do and having the time to, to finish it. What keeps you going to keep doing this? I mean, I, I must, I know there was a bit of a setback and we're going to get into that. Yeah. And now you're back in full swing. Mm -hmm. You're newly invigorated. Or? I am. What keeps me going is the constant contact that I get from victims that are not getting their justice. And, you know, th there's so much that needs to be talked about. You know, we need shelter programs and we need services like that. But what keeps me going is because I am able to do what these government run nonprofits can't do. Let me give you a, an example. So for many years until I got stumbled up, uh, I was going to court for victims with victims, doing all the investigating, meeting with them for months, learning who these people are that I'm representing, making sure that as I represent them, that my integrity and my work is going to be able to be true, that I'm going to have the evidence that I know this person to be a good human being, a good mother, and is truly a victim of domestic violence. So I started doing that and I started going to court as a non-attorney and beating attorneys because I studied the law. I was specific to domestic violence, the uh, Violence Against Women's Act. I knew the codes. I knew what to ask for, what not to ask for, what victims could do. I would empower them. I would okay. inspire them. So um, that, the, the, the constant contact from people, and not just in the state of Pennsylvania. I had people reaching out to me from across the country for help because what, what people don't understand is that 
an advocate from a shelter program, they're limited, limited to what they can do, what their services are, because you have to understand that the local shelter programs are trickled down. You have the national national coalition against domestic violence down to, so it's then you have the Pennsylvania coalition, which was the first coalition against domestic violence in the, in the, in the country. And then you have your uh, other local uh, coalitions that, you know, handle local. So they're kind of, their hands are tied regionally. Um, their, their hands are tied because they're getting their funding from the people that they would fight against. Like for instance, if you have a local advocate from a local nonprofit shelter program or any other that, that is getting their funding from the government and these local um, county offices, if an advocate, if I was getting funding from Northampton County or Lehigh County or the government and I went in there to fight against these big guys, I would lose my funding. Makes sense. What happened to me when we will get into is because I fought back. I was not going to be controlled by money. You, even even big businesses that give funding out, I don't want their money. If they're going to control what I can do, what I can say, and how I can help people, if you're not going to let me get out there and kick some ass in the court system and really help victims, I don't want your money. I want, my voice is free. And that is why after I went through what I went through, I came back and I thought I was going to close my nonprofit after my fight that I went through. And I thought I won. Why am I going to close my nonprofit now? Right. I, I won. I freaking won. And it's like, no, now my voice is free. I'm coming back the way I came in with no money, with, with little bit of funding. And I'm going to use my voice because people need to know the truth about government run nonprofits the court system and corruption. And, you know, and I hate to use that word because it's so negative and I wanted to come in here organic and holistically and because I did a lot of work to get to where I am to be well. And, and I, you know, even people need to know legislator, right. our legislators are out there. Who was take Tony? Who is taking a stand? Do you know how many times I had asked local legislators to just support me? I have the truth. I will be that strong person next to you, even though you're supposed to be the one strong because you're being paid by the taxpayers to change laws, to pass laws. What's happening now with a lot of the local legislators is they just get in there and they, they do what they need to do. I want a legislator that's going to get it, get there and piss people off, make a change and fight for victims. Somebody needs a platform to stand up for victims. Domestic violence lends its own platform for that because there's so many arms to domestic violence. You have your mental illness, you have false allegations, you have the children and mm. child protective services. They're, they're, they're getting involved and these people are all paid by tax dollars. False allegations are the <laughs> child protective services. Let me just tell you something about them. 
revenge seekers. People who want mm -hmm. to seek revenge against their victim, they're going to make a phone call to Child Protective. They're going to say, oh, my, you know, she's a bad mother or you need to go investigate. And they have these women, people are losing their children falsely. And, and most of our tax dollars are going to false allegations. And that's a whole other story that needs to be addressed. But local legislators, they don't want to touch it because it's going to cause trouble. It's going to shake the system up. It's going to piss people off. But if we don't do that, there will be no change. So I am here and I'm back today to answer your question. What's what sparks me to be yeah, back? Yeah. All the above, everything that I just spoke about. Yeah. And I what I went through, Tony, I feel that I'm untouchable now. And I, and I don't I, and I say that humbly. I don't say that with arrogance. I say that because I'm bringing on like everything that I'm going to tell you is the truth. As a matter of fact, Tony, um, we set up a website. It's called Save Beginning Over. And okay. it was sent out. And, and first of all, let me just tell you, Tony, I want to thank you because I was very afraid that after we did our initial interview for me to come on here, that you would think, I'm not interviewing this girl because this story is like, and, and it, it is big. It's too big that I would, it would, it, we would need a month to really go over each one of the victims that were like, that were not heard. And you, for you to take on the story, I thank you so much because it's, it's brave of you to, to do it because I won't mention names because I'm, that's not, I'm not here to, to, to hurt anyone. Right. I'm basically, I'm here to tell, to tell the story. And um, so thank you for allowing me to do that. You're welcome. That's what it's here for. I'll tell you what, I saw on your beginning over foundation, I saw you had post and you had said, um, after seven plus years, I'm ready to tell the story from a really good place, a place mm -hmm. of peace and honesty. I'm ready to tell the honest to God truth about corruption, abuse of power, bullying, and malicious intent. Um, so I'll let you get into it, provide this platform for you to, I mean, it's one thing that I can do, you know, monetarily, I can't donate to the foundation, but That's, like you said, voice is free, voice mm -hmm. is powerful. So, That's right. Um, and, yeah. and yeah, and, and you know, Tony, for me, listen, I have a new life now. I fought, I won, I fought back. I wasn't going to be trampled on. I wasn't going to be silenced because, uh, um, you know, the story, listen, there, there's a whole lot to what I've done and there's a whole lot, um, the, the whole journey, the whole 17, 18 years. Think about um, starting something out of complete tragedy doing amazing work and winning along the way, being recognized by Nabisco as one of the uh, top advocates in the country, then being um, recognized by the Bar Association. The bar, I won the Bar Association's Liberty Bell Award. That Liberty Bell Award is typically given to attorneys, judges that hold dear to them the law and fighting for others. I'm a founder of a nonprofit, 
Okay, so right. somebody saw something in me, then being recognized by Godiva and winning the whole across the country, the Godiva Award. And that was through international voting. They came in and they followed my story and my work. And then being invited to ring the NASDAQ closing bell with some of the biggest people. And then all of a sudden, you're this person on the rise, the, the, this advocate that is out there kicking ass, holding people's feet to the fire, judges, district attorneys, false allegation makers, calling them out. All of a sudden, you get NBC investigates because no one's listened to you. They storm a courthouse for you. They're calling people out, getting people thrown in jail, fighting, fighting attorneys and winning for these women as a non-attorney, somebody who has self-taught herself to do investigations, to fight attorneys. Then all of a sudden, get, a, get, get in trouble from the attorney general's office because nobody locally could shut me up or shut me down. So here comes the attorney general's office with this fake victim that gets involved with me. This fake victim has destroyed the lives of not just, well, she didn't destroy my life. Right. I mean, she actually empowered me because I made a promise to these other nine victims of hers. And listen, I support women. I am like, research me. I'm the biggest supporter of women empowerment. But I found out that women are abusers too. Women do bad things. And right. there's some guys out there that are abused too. But the majority of my work is through women and helping them. Right. But this one particular victim, so-called victim that we'll get into, was referred to me ironically through the, the Northampton County District Attorney's Office to help her, saying that I'm the only one that could help her. Anyway, this same person made up all these lies, ironically, about me, had all of a sudden, now the attorney general's office is involved in investigating this little nonprofit girl. And in the beginning, I thought, oh, they're just, you know, I thought they just wanted to look at my books. Here you go. Tony, I sent, I had one, one bank account. One. And after every transaction in and out. I wrote next to what it was spent for what I even had victims sign. Like if I went to court for them and took them to lunch or bought yeah. them some, I made each victim sign receipts. That's how good I was at record keeping. Okay. So after all of this, all of a sudden I'm this big investigation and I'm like, and then I don't even know what I'm being, I, I honestly didn't even know what I was being investigated about. That's what I was going to ask. What were the allegations? <clears throat> I was never told. So all of a sudden, this one investigator, this woman from the attorney general's office is asking me for all of my books. There you go. Sent them everything, every single bank statement, every single receipt, every single thing that they asked for. This went on for over seven years, Tony. They investigated me for seven years. They weren't really investigating me. What they were doing is they were stalling my work, shutting me up so I wouldn't do any more work. You understand? So I, Heidi would stay out of the courts 
Heidi wouldn't be bringing any more cases that they were suppressing, any more victims that they were suppressing. Heidi was going to just, we're going to keep her silent for a while. So then it got deeper and deeper. And then they started accusing me of stealing this money and stealing that money until then there was a, um, I had a, um, what do you call it? Like an audit, like a professional audit done outside, yeah. came back clean. Everything came back clean, sent them all the financial statements from the accountant. Cause I didn't keep my books. The accountant did. So bank statements, all were, gave them everything they wanted, Tony. It was nothing was ever good enough. They strangled me. So then this so-called victim that I tried to help, um, started making up lies more lies. I don't know if it was a collaboration to, to, to shut, just to shut me down. They wanted to shut yeah. me down. So it took me seven years of fighting. So after like the first or second year, I had enough. So I wrote an email to this first investigator and I said, please, I said, please let me go. I, I need to do my work. I, I don't know what more you want from me. These are all lies. Here's everything. And then I said, then I threatened to sue them. I said, this is harassment. This is, so then all of a sudden they send in another investigator, senior deputy, assistant, a, attorney general, so-and-so. They invite me down to, they invite me to Harrisburg to talk to me. I'm like, okay. I, at this point, I'm like, kind of know what's going on, but then I kind of don't. They get there and they start seriously interrogating me. There was no mention to me that I could bring an attorney. They didn't, there was nothing because I didn't have an attorney because I thought I didn't do anything wrong. I'm just going right. to keep on giving them what they want. So I get there. And they start asking me questions and then I'm starting to catch on. This person that's trying to get me in trouble is working with these people. And then all of a sudden she says, to, everything was in good intentions. Everything that I tried to do was always good. And all of a sudden if you remember that case in New Jersey where there was a homeless man and there were two people that were raising money and they raised, I think, like $400,000. Right. I do remember that. And I said, oh, I said, honestly, I said, this is for my sister. I said, I, I don't know what you're talking about. She goes, oh, she goes, well, that case in New Jersey with, she goes, that started out with good intentions as well. Tony, I sat back. Oh, man. I sat back and I folded my arms and I just thought. I'm done here because this is criminal. They're accusing me of doing some criminal things. So I left. Fast forward seven, we were going into eight years that these people were on my, I don't even know what they were doing. So they, they spent taxpayers dollars. So then I threatened, I said, if you don't stop, I'm going to tell the taxpayers. So I, in this email, I said, how would the taxpayers like to know that you have been investigating an innocent woman? At that time, it was five years. I said, for over five years. I said, how would the taxpayers like to know about this so-called victim that she has nine other victims? One of her victims, honest to God, 
just got out of jail, was incarcerated. He was doing 10 to 20 years for a crime that I believe he did not commit, was part of, but this person created her own injuries because she was the aggressor, the violent one, had nine other criminal, uh, criminal, uh, I don't know if there were convictions, but they were criminal. Like allegations? Uh, no, she was brought up on the charges, but always oh. let go. So nine of them, I housed this victim out of the goodness of my heart, found out, then I had, after I found out that when all these victims came forward about this one serial false allegation maker, nine of them, nine people. Hey. So the man that she I believe through all my investigating and all of, I have documents. She admitted in a sworn document to Northampton County investigators, two of them, I have it highlighted. And if anybody has any questions about this, I have all the evidence. I'll, I'll send you the documents. <laughs> exact words were, well, I can't say exact because it's not in front of me. Um, she admitted that she lied because she was afraid to admit that she was going to commit suicide. They got into an altercation, her and her partner, I think it was her husband, it was her husband, um, jumped on him, fell, got injured pretty badly. So she admitted to investigators that she lied how the injury happened. So for all the years that this man was in jail, I was sending this evidence to the Northampton County District Attorney's Office and the Attorney General's Office. Not only that, Tony, after I started getting into this case, another woman that was a caregiver for this person because she's injured on her own, I believe, you know, I'm not saying that this man didn't have anything to do with it, the altercation. And if you read the story, it sounds pretty damaging to him. But if you see the evidence, you, you'll see that she did admit to lying, changed the story multiple times, got lots of funding for these injuries. Um, so then she had a caregiver after I stopped. So I kicked her out of the housing that I had her in because I walked in, there was marijuana, there was so many horrible things going on, changed the locks, kicked her out. She went for an, to another caregiver. That caregiver, after she found out that this person was a liar and was doing bad things, selling drugs out of the house, and aye, aye. It, I'm, and this you can't make this stuff up. It's all true, court documents, affidavits. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so this uh, girl calls me in the back of a police car and says, Heidi, you need to help me. They just arrested me. This person, false allegation, serial false allegation maker, lied. So this caregiver went as every other caregiver that she has now and in the past and moving into the future, there's probably many others out there that have been falsely accused by this girl. So this false allegation maker is incapable of getting her own prescriptions. So, I mean, even when we were taking care of her, we had somebody doing this stuff. And at that time, the person that was working for us to help with this girl 
there were 36 Oxycontin pills gone when we came back the next day. Hmm. So I believe it was, they were selling selling, selling them. So yeah. our caregiver was going to be her target. So I kicked her out and got rid of her. I thought I'm done with her. This is bad. So the next caregiver got arrested because the girl was kicking her out of her house. And this serial false allegation maker told her, and I have the affidavit because another caregiver heard this girl and her sister plotting and planning against this caregiver that they were going to set her up. They did set her up. So, and how does one, this one victim, this serial false allegation, false victim has a direct line to the attorney general's office, has them get video footage of this caregiver picking up this person's medication, picks up this medication, and that's all they needed. They arrested this girl for picking up this woman's medication because she couldn't do it herself, as everybody always does for her, got arrested. She wanted to, so this girl, they would not listen to her evidence. I have it, would not listen. She was arrested. I believe two or three times uh, the district attorney in Lehigh County was supposed to go to the magistrate to hear the case. Never showed up. This girl was brought to Lehigh County court, was forced into signing a plea deal, paying fines because of this false allegation. I don't know if she's still paying the fines today, but they told her, if you do not sign this, you will not be able to further your career to becoming a nurse. That's me. I was the target. I was the one for over seven years that fought this girl because I said, I will be the one to take her down. I will be the one. So now we have that's So it's me, the, the person that just got out of jail doing, I think he did 10 to 15 years. This other caregiver. And then there are other caregivers that came to me that she did the same thing to. And I'm sure they're still out there. There's still more out there. But there's also 36 false reports to CPS against two other people. And I want to know how can CPS go to the same residence all the time without having and from the same person. Do you believe in karma? I believe that there is good karma for those who do good in this world. And I believe that there's bad, there's karma that gets the ones that are doing bad. Now, will this person ever receive her karma? I don't think so because she uses her disability that I believe she created on her own um, to get what she wants everywhere she goes. How, do, how does one person have a direct line to, to win and get money? She was rewarded. When I settled my case out of court with the attorney general's office, they awarded her $5,000. They fined my nonprofit $42,000, Tony, but they found no wrongdoing. You know why they fined me? They said, because I had bad record keeping. 
Tony, my records were meticulous, mm. but I was told we were, we were supposed to go to settle because this has been an ongoing fight with them. <clears throat> I would not. So they gave me seven agreements over seven years. The attorney general's office wanted me. They wanted to silence me. Okay, so let's get into. Gosh, this story is so big. One f serial false allegation maker created a living hell for me. And all I did was I, I went to her because I thought she was a true victim of domestic violence. I thought that her husband created these injuries and I felt horrible for her. My mom's a paraplegic. Mm. She's, 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 she has MS. And so I think that played a little bit on me. And when you read the news stories that how this, this, this injury happened, you think, God, this is a really bad guy. When in turn, Tony, he is not. I had the, the, the opportunity to interview, talk to the family and him, and I got the whole story. And you don't have nine people of the same, the same serial false allegation mm -hmm. reporter maker. And you have nine victims that never got their justice, Tony, nine. And I'm sure there's more of them. There's more out there, but yeah, nobody would ever tell my story. Iceberg. No one would ever tell the story because I know more would come forward. So let's fast forward. So I fought the attorney general's office for over seven years and they had nothing on me. So I said to them, I said, if you don't stop, I'm going to tell the taxpayers that you're in investigating an innocent woman for over five years. Tony, after I did that, after I said, I told them what they need to do. I said, how about investigate this, investigate that? Like I had all these cases. Tony, 10 days later, I got a notice that they were shutting my nonprofit down. You know why? Mm -hmm. Because it was revenge. I pissed them off. They were like, who, who are you? Who, who, who are you to tell us what we need to do? We're the attorney general's office. You know, we're, we're the investigators. We're these people. Tony, they sent me a shutdown letter along with, okay, so once I told them that I was telling the taxpayers that they're investigating an innocent person and how much money it was, and I have the documents, Tony, they sent me a bill for $365 or $362,000 that they, mm. I was supposed to pay. And you know what it was going to cover? It was going to cover the fees that the taxpayers paid them to falsely investigate me. Okay, so let me get this straight. One of the investigators were, I think he was getting paid, oh, geez, I believe it was $685 an hour. And his assistant was being paid $175 an hour times seven years they were billing me that because i guess what i'm trying to say is if you fight them they're going to take you down it doesn't matter they're going to do whatever they can so tony when i got that bill 
It was around um, my grandson. I, I can remember because it's like I spent his whole seven years of watching him grow fighting the attorney general's office. That's how the timeline works for me. So I remember getting that notification that I was going to have to pay back all that money. My daughter, and, and it's really sad, it kind of, it, it, very sad for me. I got in a, such a dark place and it made me realize how people commit suicide, you know? Yeah. How the pressure, like I had the highest power in this state harassing me falsely for over seven years. So my daughter calls me or texts me that day and says, hey, mom, we're going. And my family, I didn't tell my kids about any of this because they didn't need to know. Because, yeah. you know, it, it, first of all, it was humiliating to me to be accused of all this stuff when all I wanted to do was do good oh. and to help somebody who I thought was a true victim. Really, honestly, that was where my, I mean, the things that I did to try to help even rehabilitate her, we donated personally furniture. <laughs> so all, everything that I and my daughter donated to make this condo, this girl lived in, in a condo we put her in because I thought that that's how much she deserved because her husband injured her, you know? So I got, she got $5,000, Tony, because they said that I stole her belongings, the couch that we donated, the chair that we donated, the bedroom furniture that we donated. That's what they got me on. They said that I, when in fact, I gave her four months to pick all of the stuff up that was in storage. And I have documents from, I had to hire constables because I was being threatened, Tony. I mean, it was horrific what oh, I went man. through. So. So where was I at part of this? So I was, she was rewarded $5,000. Her reward for falsely accusing everybody was $5,000 from my hard work nonprofit. So I was fined for bad record keeping. Tony, I kept meticulous records, as you could see if I send you the website. So the website that we created was... The, the whole seven plus years of investigating on me, all the email correspondence back and forth, all of the evidence of nine victims that they ignored, real evidence, Tony, it's not, it's not made up evidence. It's documents that I pulled from the courts that would prove the innocence of these people. These, okay, so I won, so they say, they settled out of court with me because I, I was fined. The foundation was fined $42,000 for bad record keeping because that's all they had on me. As a matter of fact, I have in a document from one of the investigators that says, we are under no obligation to look at your evidence. I have that in document. They are under the obligation. Tony, if you're a victim of crime and your local government isn't helping you, where do you go? You go to the big guys, right? They couldn't help anyone. They didn't want to look at any of the evidence. Let me just tell you something about the, the, the guy that was in jail doing 10 to 20 for a crime he was part of, but didn't commit and didn't um, 
He wasn't create, the catalyst. Yeah, correct. He wasn't the catalyst. Correct. He didn't start it. Correct. Did not. And 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 she admitted that he didn't. But they ignored all that. He spent ten years of his life, two children he didn't get to see, ten years. Now, the reason that no one would listen to the story, because Tony. The nine victims are part of Lehigh County and Northampton County. Do you think that the big guys are going to look at evidence that might put a domino effect in the courthouse or that might everybody would lose their jobs? Like, come on. Yeah. People that ignore evidence. So today you asked me, like, what 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 inspires me to keep going? I'm not done yet. Those nine victims need their justice. And let me tell you, when the story gets out, and, you know, I'm not mentioning names, not because I'm worried about slander or anything, because it's true. I have the evidence. It's because I don't need to. Because it's over. It's done. But what I will do, I will continue to work with these victims that didn't get justice. Because let me tell you, so after I got that bill of $365,000, They sent me seven agreements. That was agreement number one. I'm not signing it because it's all lies. I said, I'm not signing it. I'm not. I'm just not. No, no, no. So then number two, and all of these agreements are on that website. All the malicious stuff that they said and all the lies that they said about me. Each one of them could have and should have been sued for slander. But because I settled and signed off. I mean, I'm kind of pissed off that I did that now, but I didn't have anyone that was willing to fight and go the distance. Tony. Right. Okay. So in the final hours, I had an attorney from uh, Bucks County uh, near Philadelphia that believed in me. My first meeting with her, when I showed her the evidence, I left there. I was on such a high. This was after five, six years of me fighting on my own. She said to me, and and I'll never forget it. She said, Heidi, if this is all true, which it was, the damages are incalculable. I'm thinking, oh, my God. Okay, I know that (laughs) word sounds sounds really big, you know, incalculable Incalculable damages. (laughs) And she was going with me. She believed in it. She had the evidence, too. All of a sudden... We're through a year going through it and they're fighting me. And okay, so we were to go to court on a Tuesday on a the Thursday. So the the the, the previous, previous two. Yeah, that previous Tuesday, I went to Northampton County because I was pissed off. I wanted to get everything I could because I wanted to be so prepared because I knew I was going to win. And if I didn't settle out of court and I would have won in the court of law. So my, the attorney said to me, Heidi, if the damages are incalculable. And I was like, all right, cool, because I'm going to win because everything here is true. I have all the evidence. I'm all ready. Let's go. Agreement number three, agreement number four, I didn't sign. I said, nope, nope, I'm not signing. I'm not signing. I'm not signing. The threats kept coming in. So the final one was they accused me of stealing $200,000. I'm like, okay, where is this? And please show me where. They couldn't show me where. Accountant printed out my, we, I had an accountant that kept meticulous books. 
I didn't, I mean, I just gave all the information. Yeah. So all the financial balance sheets month to month sent stack like this, sent it off to them. They did not know what to do. Month to month, everything balances, balances, nothing's missing. Slander right there. So they maliciously came after me because I didn't have an attorney. As soon as I got an attorney, so let's fast forward then to that Tuesday I went and got all the evidence. Thursday, Thursday, I thought, all right, you know what? I'm going to, I tried so, I mean, I contacted every single media outlet across the country, Tony. 2020, I mean, everybody was inter interested, interested. So that Thursday before our Tuesday hearing at court, after seven settlement agreements that I would not sign because they were all false, it implicated that I did something wrong and I didn't and I wasn't going to do it. So yeah, especially with no evidence, they found nothing. So my question to them was, you investigated me for seven years now. You didn't find anything in year number one. You didn't find anything in year number two, year number three, every, every other month. Send us your bank statements, attorney general's office. I was sending them their bank, my bank statements. Okay, six months go by. They didn't find anything. Oh, Heidi, sorry. We uh, had other things of higher priority. Mm -hmm. This is emails I got. Um, can you send us the bank statements, your recent bank statements? Okay, sure, here you go. I, I was an open book, Tony, with everything. So year number three, they found nothing. Year number four, they found nothing. Year number five, all this time, taxpayers are footing the bill for them to investigate somebody Jeez. who's innocent instead of going after all the evidence that they had to save nine victims from a serial false allegation maker. Year number six, no, nothing. Year number seven, they found nothing. My question is, if you didn't find something on, like, isn't there a statute of limitations on harassment and like investigating on somebody? Like after you investigate somebody after yeah. a year, you don't find anything, two years, three years, four. So what they did, Tony, was they silenced me for seven years. They wanted to suppress me, shut Heidi up, shut her down, whatever, from from talking, from, from doing any more work. So that Thursday, um, I thought, you know what? I'm going to find a way to contact the Dr. Phil show. Hmm. You know, even if I have to like do whatever. So set something up and had the Dr. Phil show call Northampton <sighs> County to help me to do something. That was Thursday. Call to get all the information that either later that day or the next day is then I got a, a, a text message from my attorney that said, Heidi, I got the weirdest email from the investigator. I'm going to be sending you in a pleasant, pleasingly or pleasantly surprising settlement document. So it took media that was going to cover mm -hmm. the story on Tuesday to get me, to get me, to let them, Tony... When, when she, when my attorney said that they said that, I remember saying, oh my God, I said, is this good? And she said, and you know, of course my attorney says, Heidi, it, it is good. And here's the thing. Okay. It was good, Tony. 
but I still lost the fine of the $365,000 and crushed me, tried to crush me. So here we are today. I won and I sit back and I think, did I really win? Because I think that I was sold out in the final hours from me fighting for over seven years of false allegations from a man who was incarcerated. I think he was 10, he was supposed to do 20, I think he did 15. To a girl that was thrown, arrested in front of her children. This, remember, this is one person able to do this. And how does this one person have a direct line to control everyone? is what I want to know. I would have been able to tell that story. And they stalled me for seven years helping people. And I'm back. I don't know in what capacity I'm going to come back. You know, I often thought about running for a, a seat, you know, um, you know, legislative seat, because the platform that I have, that no one will be, no one is brave enough to take the stand, domestic violence, domestic homicide. Listen, when my sister was killed, I made a promise and I could not break that promise. I remember before I sent that email to the first investigator that, that you know, when I said, why don't you investigate this? I said, please believe me. Like I was bet, Tony, I begged for somebody to listen to me and no one would listen. What they did was they kept on making me feel worse. They kept on accusing me of doing things that I didn't do. I, I wanted to come into this doing good and I'm going to come out of this doing good, but you can't imagine somebody being brave enough to take a stand they need to hear that over 70% of our court's time is spent dealing with domestic violence related issues. There was a study done by the Judge, uh, National Judges Association. They even proved it that 70% of the time abusers are able to convince authorities to give them sole custody of children. Now, we know this, hmm. but why isn't there change, Tony? Child Protective Services... Their number one calls are false allegations. We as taxpayers are paying these people to go knock on the doors of innocent people out of revenge. Come on. Listen, I can talk to somebody and I can tell like that who the abuser is. Who? Why? Because I'm trained. People need to start listening. Listen, you... Victims of domestic violence need a voice. And as I was getting into this, I was saying, you know, who is going to take a stand? So I was thinking about, I mean, many times during this whole thing, boy, what am I, you asked me what I'm going to do now with the foundation. Yeah. Okay. So I'm using my voice. My law, Robin's law has been sitting since 2008, I believe, 2007, 2008. There's not a legislator that has been willing to even talk about it. They've been willing to write it up and get it introduced, reintroduced every year. But since I was told 
I need to go and get it done myself, I thought, okay, well, maybe I will. As the number one issue, is it, and this is maybe more opinion, but you have way more facts than I do. Are we getting better than we were generations ago? No, Tony, we've stalled. It's stalled. Nothing is being done. There's a real need for you. <laughs> it's a real need. Thank you. I, I, I feel, I feel empowered, Tony, to go back into doing something. I don't know what it is. I have a cringy feeling though, to like walk into a courthouse again. But as far as um, victims, I don't know what I want to do. You know, I know that there's so many of them. I know that, that, that victims are losing their children left and right. Children are being, lives are being destroyed by our court system. You know, the, the, these kids that grow up, they need to be the voice, the next generation of voices. The children that were taken from the safety of the non-abusive parent and given to the abusive parent. These children, I want to know where they are. The grown children that this happened to, they need to tell and talk about it. They need to tell the judges what they've done to them, what they did. You know, I have a bunch of those people from doing this work for 17 years. Those kids are now grown adults. They know what happened to them. But you know what the problem is, Tony? We go to book learned people with college degrees. There is no college degree needed when you've been a victim of domestic violence or when you've done the work that I've done. And as a matter of fact, the district attorney said to me after I had one of my cases with three wives, he was finally arrested, brought me into his office and he said, Heidi, do you want a job? He goes, what do you do? And he was probably joking, you know, because he couldn't even believe that the, the evidence that I was able to get. And you know, Tony, I was able to get what I needed because the victims liked me. They believed in me. They allowed me into their life. They allowed me into their homes. They allowed me to see the way they lived, the way that they mothered their kids and, you know, showed me the evidence, the evidence that is often ignored. Good for you, man. Give yourself a round of applause. <laughs> oh, jeez. I... I need help getting back into it though. You know, I've been, it's been a long, a long road. Maybe we'll get you set up with a podcast. That would be. Getting over podcast. Yeah. You know, I've thought about that too, Tony. And I, I, I've thought about seriously getting out there in, in one of these elections and throwing my name in the ring. And, you know, I don't have that college degree, you know, but I have, I, I do believe that I have what it takes to make a difference and to, to use the platform of domestic violence. And, oh, I was going to get into domestic homicide. So there's 10,000 children a year plus that lose a parent to domestic violence. Where are these kids, Tony? They're out there. Why isn't anyone talking to them? The news media, they take the big story. Oh, this so-and-so was killed by so-and-so and leaves be orphans. You know, these children are called orphans. They're not orphans. Let's not call them orphans. Let's, you hear the story, 
And most of the families, grandparents raising the children, aunts and uncles raising the kids, who is supporting them? Where is their financial help? So when I was really big in the foundation doing my work, we were, we had camps for these kids, Tony. We had sisters, awesome. sisters meeting sisters of loss, um, mothers connecting with mothers, fathers and fathers. We would get together. And even though the children didn't really talk about the parent that they lost or both parents essentially they lose, they would hug each other because they felt like one. It's a, it's a yeah. different community when you are faced with homicide. And, and like I met so many beautiful people. And my goal was when I won the Godiva uh, award, they asked me what I wanted to do. And I wanted to connect families across the country, Tony, I won $10,000. That doesn't do too much. You know, if you if you're thinking yeah. you want to connect. Oh, but yeah. I did what I could do. I did I did local camps. But my goal was to one day, you know, domestic violence we're never going to eradicate it. We we really aren't. What we can do is we can change laws and we can change the way victims are handled in the court system. Um but what we really need is we need to, um, these families of homicide, Tony, if you think about it, over 10,000 children a year, where are they? Where are right. the, 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 the mothers of, of, of loss? Where are the fathers that lost their daughter? Where are the aunts, the uncles, the brothers, the sisters? Where are all these people? They're hurting. They're hurting. So my, my goal was really essentially i wanted to get into that so we were paying um locally when there was a domestic homicide we were paying funeral expenses because when my sister was killed that was the biggest thing it was like now she had two children and it's like who's going to pay for this like what are we going to do Right. So I got this idea. Okay. So whenever we had a local homicide, we, the foundation would pay for the funeral expenses or part of the funeral expenses. So we were raising money to do that. We were holding camps, but my ultimate goal would be to connect across the country families of homicide and hold camps, yearly camps where we could fly people into certain locations, the, the, the families and everybody could just meet and we could do wellness retreats, things like that. So Tony, as mm -hmm. you can see, I mean, we need to raise, so I'm really thinking whether I get on the platform of changing laws and, and things like that, or if I just go back into my world of giving victims of families of homicide a voice. Domestic violence, homicide. It's the number one killer of women across the country, more than uh, car accidents, more than, you know, rapes. I didn't and, know that. Yeah. I did not know yeah. that. So, you know, it's just, we need more shows like you, Tony. We need people who are willing to talk to us little guys Shows that aren't afraid to expose injustice. And, you know, it's not that I even, I don't have revenge. I, I, the revenge is not mine. It, it, that is not why I, I wanted to talk to you. It was more to move on. Well, 
let's move forward. Let's worry about the future victims you can help, the mm -hmm. future families you can help. I mean, you can come out on the other end healed. I, I don't think of it as winning. I mean, yeah. if she's physically incapacitated and has to live, it's hard to cover up lies. The easiest thing to do is to just tell the truth. And then yeah. you always remember that's something I would have said. I don't, I don't try to be an agent of karma. I kind of let that figure itself yeah. out and don't change anything. It happens naturally, right? Yeah. And even if you're not there to see it, even right. if you don't care whether or not it happens, right. just to be able to move forward in your own journey. I'm glad I could be a part of your healing process. And I and I appreciate you and I wish you much success. What you're doing here is amazing. And I I know that lives can be changed through through you. If anyone wants to help, they can go to the website. It's beginningover.org. And you can read all about our work, what we're doing, any fundraisers that are coming up, how you can donate and where that donation is going to be used, where it's going and what it's going to be used for can be found on our website. Super cool. Yeah. You know, th there's much more, but you know what? You helped me tell what I needed to tell you know, about what goes on in our court system and, 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 and just for people to maybe be more aware where their tax dollars are going, you know, you, you help me. You, and this is now I can move forward and I can continue the healing process, but more importantly, I can move on now. And, and you help me really decide what direction I need to go. So thank you. Thank you for your time. And, you know, I wish you the best of everything with your new podcast. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. All right. This is I Will Not Lose podcast where we set out to prove everything is learned from failure. We must persevere and recognize it as one step closer to success. We had Heidi on. She told her story of resilience and fighting the attorney general for seven years and her work with domestic abuse as an advocate and founder of the Beginning Over Foundation. Um, to support her cause, we will have a donation link in the episode description on YouTube as well as Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. Your contribution is appreciated. Thank you for listening.